You're listening to Artistic Finance, show 123. On today's show, I chat with lighting designer Christina Gianelli. We talk about freelancing in Houston, teaching as a retirement plan, putting all contracts through USA 829, a good accountant will keep you on track, aging parents while growing older yourself, real estate as a retirement plan and a COVID safety net, focusing youthful energy toward retirement planning, and having an agent negotiate contracts is well worth the agent's fee. Today's episode was recorded in person at LDI in Las Vegas. We partnered with Ayrton Digital Lighting, who sponsored the Women in Lighting session to raise awareness and community for women in entertainment lighting. Without further ado, let's get to the show. You're listening to Artistic Finance Podcast, where your host, Ethan Steimel, interviews successful artists, leaders, and investors to help educate and inspire artists to grow their wealth. Welcome and thank you for listening. I'm your host, Ethan Steimel. We're recording this November 19th, 2022 at LDI in Las Vegas. And today we're joined by lighting designer, Christina Gianelli. Welcome, Christina. Yeah. Um, So first off, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I am primarily a a theatrical lighting designer in that, I guess, live, live events. I've gone, my career's gone through several phases. I had my opera phase, a very, very long ballet phase, uh, then another intense opera phase, and now I'm doing primarily live theater. And you came from LDI. You weren't here in time for our session yesterday, but you were out of town lighting a dance? Yes, I um, came back from a week, a very quick week in Queensland, Australia, uh, uh, setting an older piece, Christopher Bruce's Rooster, on Queensland Ballet. Amazing. All right, if you ever need to go remount that in Australia again, and you don't feel like going, just share the paperwork with me. We can talk about it, and I'm happy sure. to go for well, you. Well, the, f- the funny thing about that piece is, in fact, it's not my piece, but it's a piece that I have been looking after in the United States since it was set on Houston Ballet in, I think, 1997. Yeah. And uh, the designer did not want to make the trip from England to Australia, so she asked if I would do it. I totally understand, and I didn't want to age you, but I almost asked, because yeah. you're like, I'm rebounding this from 25 years ago, yeah. and... <laughs> I, I wanted to ask that. Que- I wanted to ask that question. Like, was it your design? And I thought, you know, I'll just leave this one alone. I've been around a while, but actually, my, that's my second visit out there. I remounted my Peter Pan, uh, Trey McIntyre's choreography in 2015. I gotcha. Amazing. All right. So uh, now your creative personality and your financial personality. We'll start with the creative. What is a live event that you like to experience as an audience member? I really enjoy contemporary dance. Yeah, I, I enjoy recently created dance, I guess. I like old dance, too, but I mean, I enjoy. But what I actually really like more than anything else is um, being in the rehearsal room with chamber musicians if I'm lighting a chamber music piece. I, I, there's something about being that close to the creation of music that I find intensely magical. Yeah. The, the quality of their collaboration is amazing. Those are, it's funny, those are both art forms, and they both involve a stage usually, but they're very different to me. Contemporary dance to chamber music. But it's the experience of just actually being in the presence of people creating work yeah. that's yeah. amazing to me, and such a privilege. And I know for me, uh, an element is like multiple people working together. I just, there's something about multiple people coordinating for a, for a singular thing dance that's based on, on co- like contact improv is also um, really fun to be in the audience for. So let's just rate your, your you, you say you like all dance, but um, if you had a choice between going to see Palabolus or George Malanchine's Nutcracker, <laughs> which would you choose? <laughs> that's so hard because there's, I grew up on Balanchine's Nutcracker. I mean, that was the first ballet I knew, so... Yeah, I'd go back and see that, but I mean, Palabolus kind of keeps you at the edge of your seat. But there's something about getting to know a group of performers so like 
going to see something at Houston Ballet where I've seen those performers come out of the academy. I think it must be maybe what sport, how sports fans feel about their team, um, especially baseball, where you see people coming out of training and work their way up. But That's an interesting comparison to sports. Dancers are athletes. Very much. Somebody else on this podcast had answered about a dance, a specific dancer. They, mm-hmm. you know, it was like, what? And they, they, it was a specific dancer in the New York City Ballet that they were like, we love this person. And I was like, wow. <laughs> um, all right, so now onto your financial personality. Yes, I know you're excited to talk about this part. Um, are you good or bad with money? I think I used to be very good with it, and now I'm very bad, bad with it. <laughs> But I think you know it's a judgment. Good, bad, it's a judgment. I have to say, right now, I am not in gr- in in a good place financially. COVID kind of wiped me out, um, and it, uh, it not only did everything close down, but it closed down my side hustle. So I'm going to go back a little bit. Um, I actually come from a, like family of bankers. There's Christina, bankers. Like, so family actually, of bankers. So my 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 sis, it's it's in the blood, like several generations back and my sis it's expressed itself in my sister and her progeny and my mother did took care of our family finances and was very was she's amazing uh, with it and has done very well herself um, financially in terms of looking being able to look after herself in her old age um, and I am coming up against that big class window it's like oh it's become so expensive and I'm not sure so as soon as I started in the field, I, well, I've, I think as long as I can remember, I've had a savings account. I'm sure my mother opened it for me. And all the babysitting went in there, and then all the little fees from doing stuff around town when I was a kid. I've never had, a, like, a real job. I've only ever worked in the arts. <laughs> and in the, kind of the non, for the most part, the nonprofit sector. I, I don't want to age you, yeah. but we sort of already have. Um, how old are you, just so I know? How old you got to be before you had a real job? <laughs> I'm going to be starting looking for teaching positions, so I don't think I want, <laughs> I want to talk there. All right. Oh, if there's anybody that hire, is hiring um, lighting professional teachers, um, Christina is roughly 36 <laughs> or something like this. I don't know. She has a very long teaching career ahead of her and should 100% be hired. Exactly. Thank you. So wait, can I actually also ask a follow-up question, which is I actually thought you were a teacher already. Well, I, I am an instructor of record at the moment at the University of Houston, but I'm in the middle of getting my MFA so that I can teach. Okay. It was a COVID strategy. Mostly it was about not sitting home alone getting depressed. I totally understand. Yeah. You know, we all did certain yeah. things. <laughs> and it was, a, it was brilliant. I mean, I had structure and stimulation and a bunch of new people to get to know. Well, this is fantastic because I actually thought I was sitting down with a professor um, tenured, and then you've clearly broken that. Yeah. <laughs> I have a lot to teach. So, yeah. I mean, I've been around a while. So, but so I always like, I was always very careful with money. Mm-hmm. There was a terrific kind of workbooky book of, that you could buy at Drama Bookstore when I was at, sort of coming out of school that was all about like your, fi- t- your finances in the performing arts. And it was a little bit skewed towards performers, but it also worked for designers. And so it was like, this is how you set up your accounting books, and you should think about retirement accounts. And I also read voraciously. I mean, I read, like, the paper front to back and all the magazines front to back. So I kind of knew that there were, like, ta- you know, tax-free or uh, retirement accounts and all of that. So I got myself set up with a employee number and the whole thing. So I have my social security number. I have my EIN. I want to get into the EIN. When did you do that? Was that early on? Mm -hmm. That was early on. So I'd have to look. I don't remember if it was before or after I moved to Houston. So I freelanced for the first four years. And then I got a, a staff position with the Houston Grand Opera. And then I also started working for the Houston Ballet and for and there was like a three year overlap and that was my that was really my grad school. Uh, um, yeah. that was an amazing period. Okay. And actually backing up, where where are you from? Where did you oh, grow I, up? I was in, born and raised in Man, in New York City in Manhattan. So you went from Manhattan, graduated college. Went back to to New York. 
Okay, so and then freelance for four years in New York Mm -hmm. and then went to Houston. Yeah, I thought, you know, I should leave home. It's very easy to become very provincial in a way in New York because everything reinforces the idea that New York's the center of the galaxy. Less so now with the Internet, but back then for sure. It seemed like it was was time to leave home, and I thought I'd be away for 18 months or so. You know, I couldn't imagine not living in New York. Have you been in Houston ever since? Almost, yeah. I I moved back to New York um, in... 2011 to take the um, lighting designer position at the Metropolitan Opera, okay. um, and I thought it was my tr- good, my dream job, and it wasn't. Okay, okay. How long were you there? Uh, I was at the Met for a full season, and then I um, hung around. I kind of took a year off, and then I moved back to Houston because my adult life was there, and my real estate partnership, and the nonprofit that I started. So, so we can talk about real estate. Okay, perfect. Perfect. <laughs> Um, growing up, you said you had a good example from your mother. When you started, I guess, the freelancing in, in New York, what were your finances looking like? Boy, you know, it, it was, it, it, there was uh, not a lot of money. So, but you, so here's the thing. My parents had separated. And so my mother was kind of happy to have my company. So I basically moved back home. Yeah. I the I put in my own telephone line and turned my bedroom into my drafting studio, and um, I paid the utilities. That was our deal. I would pay the utilities. So it was lovely. It gave me the freedom to take jobs that, yeah. I mean, otherwise I would have had to work at production arts lighting or get a real job. Um, but I was able to take the jobs that... It, led to other jobs that led to other jobs that led to Houston Grand Opera. And and when you went to Houston Grand Opera, to me that sounds like a regular job almost. It was. No, no. I mean, I got a regular, I got paid every two weeks. Um, I think there was health insurance. You're freelancing now, yes? I am. When did you go back to freelancing? So after I left Houston Grand Opera, I was on a contract basis with with Houston Ballet. It was a I was their lighting director, but it was basically season by season, and it was paid, I was just paid for the weeks that I was prepping or in the theater. Mm-hmm. But that, so that led me, I basically been paying sort of taxes as a self-employed person yeah. most of life, yeah. um, and it led, it left me chunks of time when I could take other work, so yeah. yeah. Um, but I have to say, having that home-based company was great because yeah. I could think about money in a different way. I could think about like living off that and saving the the rest. Yeah. Um, when you're just freelancing and you just don't know what's coming in, it's really hard to plan. Right. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> um, and the EIN. Going back to that EIN, is that like setting up an LLC? Was that so that you? No. Can it's have your- just. It's just getting. It's just something you do with the IRS and you say I'm going to employ other people because you had to have that you had to have an EIN in order to do those self-funded oh uh, like a retirement account okay so can we can I actually ask about that because I just learned recently there's something called a simple plan and apparently nobody uses it even though it's an option you today my accountant recommended an individual 401k and so I'm just curious, like, what your do you know what your account is or what it type all, of account? No, it all changed. There was a period of time when the, the everything changed, and I have no idea. And this is the problem. This is like adult life, real life got in the way, and I my everything's sort of a mess at the moment. I have to spend a chunk of time sitting down and getting it sorted out, and frankly, I haven't wanted to look at it. Yep, I understand. You'll figure it out when you have to figure it out. Well, is. and I, th- I think have to is getting very close. <laughs> I mean, because it's, at some point, it's just irresponsible not to. Um, but uh, after resettling in Houston, then I, I went through a, an intense period of family, just helping my mother move, mm-hmm. things like that. So my discretionary time has been filled up. Yeah. yeah. All right, so... You'd mentioned real estate, and my next question is, do you have any debts? So, for example, student loan, auto loan, or mortgage. Okay, I have no auto loan at the moment, but I'm going to have to soon. I'm going to need a new car fairly soon. Um, 
I don't have any student debt because I decided taking on a student loan for graduate school right now is, at my age is not a good idea. Um, I am carrying more on my credit cards than I would care to. That's where that is. I don't have a mortgage, but I did have several for a long time as part of the real estate thing. And thank goodness for this real estate partnership because uh, the proceeds of dissolving it helped me get through COVID. So back in late 90s, a, my, my, uh, the man I was seeing at the time, he and another, an ex-girlfriend of his and his eldest son and I got together and created a small real estate partnership. And the idea was we were going to, real estate in Houston was historically very uh, undervalued compared to the rest of the country. There was a terrible um, oil crash in the late 70s, early 80s. And so, in fact, when I moved to Houston, there were entire newly built office buildings that were empty. People were walking away from their houses. Um, it was so that it had really depressed the real estate market. And it just took a long time to um, get back on par with the rest of the country. Influx of people from the West Coast um, certainly uh, has accelerated that. Um, so the idea was we would buy some rental houses and rent them and um, create a cash flow as for retirement. Yeah. Kim moved to the West Coast eventually, um, and so we bought her out. And then, you know, it just life happened. But we did very well because we started with these like three yeah. little houses and each of us had, Kim and I had, had the mortgages. Wayne would look for new properties and Matthew and his friends sort of took over the renovation side of it. It worked really well, and I did the bookkeeping because I was good at it and enjoy it because it's that banker's blood, right? So, um, I mean, we really we ended up doing quite well in terms of the overall value, and ended up not wanting the responsibility and the day-to-day -day trouble of renting. Matthew on the side had taken that, started buying up small houses and, and renovating them and selling them and holding the note. We ended up just holding a lot of notes. And so basically over the last few years, those have all pretty much aged out. So I should have been putting all of that money into my retirement account. But in fact, it um, really helped uh, me get through the cash crisis of COVID. Yeah, yeah. And when and you say, okay, purchased properties, renovated them, sold them, kept the note, meaning? So we held the mortgage. Yeah. So instead of the buyer going to the bank and getting a mortgage and us getting the, the full value when we sold it, we held the note. So you like made a, a mortgage of your own, or you kept the mortgage that you already had? No, the mortgages that I had were on the original rental properties. Okay. And then we sold, eventually sold those, put that money towards the properties that were holding the notes. And when you first started this partnership, because you said you had the mortgages, so to me that means you had a steady paycheck maybe? You were able to... No, well, um, both the... The two of us, uh, Kim and I, both had just been scrupulous savers and had great credit scores and and, and cash in the bank. So were you freelancing at that time? Mm-hmm. Wow. I was just, it was very inexpensive to live in Houston. And it's one of the reasons I continued to, to live there because you yeah. could, um, it's easy, it was an easy place and it's an easy place to travel from. Yeah. You know, you can do a rehearsal somewhere else the same day if, yeah. You, yeah. if you feel up to it. Do you know Gary Archer? I do. You do? Oh, my God. <laughs> that was about, I, I just played the game called I'll Name the One Person I Know in Houston. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. So Gary was here yesterday. Oh, good. He's a Patreon patron of the mm -hmm. show. Oh. And we met yesterday for the first time. And I actually, since you know him, I want to hunt him down mm -hmm. because I was like, I want to get a photo with him because yeah. it's like, well, you know, do I don't photo. often get to meet my yeah. patrons. So That's fantastic. that is so funny. Absolutely. <laughs> Houston is a very big city, but the community is very tight. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I'm sorry. I'm smiling, smiling right now. <laughs> <laughs> Taking a break from the interview to mention our LDI partner, Ayrton Digital Lighting. Ayrton sponsored this year's Women in Lighting panel at LDI. Now, Women in Lighting is a network and community of women and allies across all areas of the lighting industry. Here is a message from Linnea, who coordinated with us to record last week's live recording with three lighting designers talking finance. 
Ayrton design and manufacture innovative LED and laser source moving lights for indoor and outdoor applications in concert touring, theater, studio, installation and architecture. Ayrton is a proud sponsor of the international support and networking project Women in Lighting. Ayrton's primary aim is to raise awareness of and expand the network across the entertainment lighting industry. Go to womeninlighting.com and sign up for the entertainment newsletter to learn more. Male supporters are welcome. Ayrton is exclusively distributed by Act Entertainment in North America. I'd also like to take a minute and invite you to consider becoming a Patreon patron of Artistic Finance. Now, I mentioned Gary Archer in today's episode because he is our lone patron from Texas. And coincidentally, he is from Christina's home base of Houston. Thank you to Gary and all of our listeners from Texas for including Artistic Finance in your podcast lineup. Now, patrons have access to the archive of previous outtakes and bonus content, but more importantly, patrons are going out of their way to support the work that we're doing. So with your help, we remain a resource for freelancers and artists to get any financial question answered. Now, when I started Artistic Finance, I did not realize that it was the only place that any artist can get any financial question answered. And as we answer more and more questions, I get very proud of providing these public interviews, providing this public information, and supporting artists within the entertainment community. Now, this is all happening not because of me, but it's because of the network that we have. Nicole is running the newsletter. Josh has volunteered hundreds of hours into running the website. And of course, you, the patrons. Your monthly or yearly financial pledges are keeping this podcast running and not for nothing, it helped us buy our step and repeat, which you can see on the video version of this interview, which is on YouTube. If you would like to play a part in supporting artistic finance, please go ahead and sign up at patreon.com slash artistic finance. Thank you in advance for that support. And before we get back to the interview, one last mention of ACT Entertainment. ACT is the sole rep of Ayrton in North America, and they showcased the Ayrton gear at LDI and coordinated the Women in Lighting session and the happy hour. Ryan from ACT Entertainment sent us this short message. ACT Entertainment is proud to support Ayrton's goal to raise awareness of the Women in Lighting organization and expand their global network across the entertainment lighting industry. And now, back to the interview with Christina Gianelli. Okay, so this this real estate, I think, is, fa- is fascinating. Um, I think especially in today's day and age, it's like we all need multiple streams of income. In fact, our talk last year at LDI was about multiple streams of income, and it's it's uh, increasingly harder just to have one stream, especially in the arts and all that. Um, so I'm very impressed that you were freelancing. Even though it's Houston, lower cost of living, it's still you're freelancing and taking on these mortgages. I had a lot more energy back then. <laughs> I also start, started an, a, a, serv- a dance service organization in Houston, so... At the same time? Yeah. <laughs> and when you say dance service, you mean? So, um, like, Dance New York or a, lo- a local Dance USA. We support, and uh, anyway, we're, it's, a, it's all about helping choreographers and dance companies um, be s- sustainable and successful. Okay, so we, did, we talked about debts. Um, um, in, do you budget, because you have banker's blood, and you were running the books for that real estate company that's now dissolved. So I had, um, I, I absolutely, and I absolutely budgeted uh, the nonprofit while I was running it. Um, I, what I have is a cash flow spreadsheet that shows me what my obligations are, what money I think I have coming in, and um, it, that's sort of how I manage things right now. I, I mean, I think that's good enough uh, because to me it's like what's coming in and what's going out. That's, and you just need what's coming in to be more than what's going out. It's true. And then sometimes it, like, it's a disaster because those checks don't come in or the, you know, the wire transfer doesn't come in. And then you're like – so I also – what I did is that I, main, I tried very hard to have a cushion of at least – six months of cash but we've had COVID and now I'm like like literally scraping the bottom of the barrel so the uh, the current side hustle since the the real estate partnership has wound down um, is that I 
I live in a very interesting house. It was built in the 1940s um, as a bordello and has eight bedrooms on the second floor, eight bedrooms and four baths. And at the time that I was moving back to Houston, or actually while, well, while I was in New York and re- coming, um, I heard from friends in the nonprofit sector that they were, as performing arts sector, that they were having a hard time housing their visiting artists because at that, that was the point where the real estate uh, prices were really starting to climb in Houston. Uh, and a lot of the old housing stock that was sort of inexpensive furnished corporate apartments and stuff like that was just no longer available. Um, it was being torn down for new townhouses and stuff like that. And I was like, that's wrong. Someone has to fix that. Yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> In step Christina. In, yeah. So, um, and my former landlord, I owned real estate, but I was still a renter. I have a wonderful landlord who... Um, basically pieced together a small neighborhood in a really odd little section of Houston, but very close to downtown. And it was about the closest place that I've ever heard of in Houston to, like, um, not co-housing, but, uh, well, an intentional community, really. So he kind of rents to like-minded people and to people who are interested in being good neighbors to one another. So we would walk each other's dogs and feed each other's cats and look just generally rides to the airport and really paid off when we had a couple of hurricanes and the trees came down and we just all banded together and took care of each other. And a lot of organic gardening going on. We had a cooperative chicken coop, which was really fun because I'm a city girl, but I, I had an, you know, I had a seventh part in this cooperative chicken coop. It was great fun. Um, but he also, he had also bought this building. And, it, and about the time I was thinking about moving back to Houston, he had called me to, because he had purchased the building from the Madams Estate and turned it into a dormitory for international students for the University of Houston downtown, which is a total commuter school. So over time, um, it had sort of drifted away and he had managers and it, it needed a lot of love and he didn't want to deal with it on a day-to-day basis anymore and asked if I thought maybe the Houston Ballet needed a dormitory. And I asked, and they were kind of interested, but they also had purchased housing, and they were about to... um, Anyway, I was like, maybe I could turn this into affordable housing for visiting artists and live there myself, because it's a great location, and it just seemed like a really interesting project, and I needed a project. Um, It's been a very long project, um, Life got in the way a lot. This um, was like 2012? This was 2013, halfway through 2013. So I did a business plan. Um, I spent a few months house-sitting for a friend in Houston and um, kind of figuring it all out. And it really looked good on paper, but I'd never renovated a house before. <laughs> and neither had my friend Frank. So anyway, it looks great right now. But And we were just really starting to gain some momentum just through word of mouth. We hadn't done any formal marketing, and then COVID hit. And now COVID's over, but I'm not out there doing word of mouth as much because I'm in graduate school. Um, And so, yeah, and every day I plan to sit down and work on the website, you know, something happens. All right, so just out of curiosity, so you have a a room, you you have a house with eight bedrooms, four bathrooms. So we basically have... Um, seven nicely appointed bedrooms. All the windows open. There's no wall-to-wall carpeting in the bedrooms. All the sheets and are cotton. Um, just all the things that used to irk me about traveling for work and still irk me. I mean, if I can't, you know, you can never open the windows now that I've, you know. But there is a um, pantry for the guests and the work currently upgrading that but the idea is you don't also don't have to have a buzzing refrigerator in your room or the you know the microwave in your room your room is just a bedroom but the people you that you would like to because there's seven bedrooms available right now the the people um, you want staying in them do you want like flight attendants who have to you know have a couple days over there yeah i mean if you know if we have to if we have to start spreading our marketing which we may um it's basically up till now being dancers fine artists who are coming into town to uh, put up their exhibits, 
mu lots and lots of classical musicians who come in to play with the smaller orchestras. And they'll come in as a group and basically take over the house and have, they have a great time because it's like they don't have to, they just get to hang out together. We, the model is that we rent to the, perform to the arts organization, which gives a level of accountability and everybody knows one another then because um, we live there. But also if we have multiple sets of people there, the, again, you're not staying with like stranger, stranger, strangers. You're not going to have a volleyball team come in for the weekend and disrupt. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's like this is a quiet place to come and unwind. Yeah, Great. <laughs> yeah. and there's an outdoor space. And yeah. So that, and I know you're in school and you've been busy. Um, the mortgage is paid off. But are you making a profit as of right now or not? No, quite I mean, so, I, so I'm paying rent. So I have a long-term commercial lease on the building. I'm month to month. We're renegotiating the lease. The landlord, so when a triple net lease, you as the tenant have to pay the increases in things like the t taxes in insurance, and you're responsible for a certain for the maintenance, basically. Yeah. So taxes have been skyrocketing. So. That's on me. Agreement was that there would be an option to buy, and um, my landlord, he's, just, he's, re semi -re he's retired, essentially, so he wants an income stream. And then well, it sounds he, like rent to own to me. Yeah, it's perfect. But, he yeah. can hold the mortgage. That's, yeah, so that's what we're, we're moving towards, hopefully. But uh, he was waiting to offset some of that. Well, okay, so, you have, so you've been freelancing, and the real estate thing seemed to be a really good thing for 20 years-ish. Yeah. Um, that seems wonderful. That helps you get through COVID. This sort of housing situation could work out well eventually. <laughs> I, think, I mean, I think it will. I mean, basically, I just I want to cover the, you know, the cost of the house, basically. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so, but the freelancing-wise, how do you find your jobs in Houston for lighting? I've been very lucky over the years. I mean, people, I haven't had to do a lot of more, any formal marketing. Um, I used to be very good about calling people and I would just check in with people on a regular basis to remind them that I existed. I've become a little phone phobic. I don't know why that is or whether that's just the, the times we live in. Yeah. So, uh, I need, to, I need to, I need to, I must, um, yeah, remind people that I exist. Um, but also things just led to other things. So I would uh, set a one of my ballets on a company and then they liked working with me, so I would work with them some more. Houston, people call me up. <laughs> people know um, you. They know I'm me. Um, I, th I realize that I, I think right now I might be in a place where people are like, oh, oh, she's probably too busy or oh, she wouldn't want to work with us. Um, and that's not true. <laughs> so I just, yeah, I enjoy little stuff. I enjoy big stuff. I'd like to, do, I need to do more big stuff coming up. I need to get out and do some big opera and some big ballet and because you can't make a living doing small theater in Houston. Right. Or anywhere, or anywhere or anywhere. Exactly. Yeah. You all, you have to do big stuff. You yeah. have to. Um, so I have to, I have to get a website up. People search for me. I see on LinkedIn people are searching, but there's no place for them to figure out who I actually am. I need to get a web presence. Maybe. I, I will say I, I guess I have a web presence, but I have not updated my website for like five years. Now, why is that? Why is that? Exactly. It's like we don't have anything else to do. Because I'm working. You yeah, know what exactly. I mean? Like it's, well, it's and like. The, and the other I, thing is, and this for me, this is what is really going on in my life right now, is that means I have to make choices. I have to make more. I have to make other choices. I make so many choices every day about everything. Re renovating a house, that's a lot of choices. Yeah. And I've gotten to a point now where it's like, oh, I have to choose the new color for the fence. And I'm like, I can't make that choice. Yeah, white. You can pick white. Uh, not any. <laughs> all right the only real estate thing i know about houston is that there's the beer can house yes i thought for sure you were going to say so i live in the beer can house <laughs> no that's where i thought this was going to be yeah. going oh, yeah. no that would be cool yeah the um, beer can yeah. house is, is pretty great because when i visit places because i went to shadow david lander on um, a show at the alley oh nice this is a yeah. while back now but you know we had a day off or something and so i you know you can go to museums you can do all the 
normal things that normal people do, but I like, there's a website called Atlas Obscura, and they, they always have sort of the weird, like, what's a weird thing? Like, this is where a car crash was, or this is where, for Houston, I went to see the beer can house, and it was pretty cool. It is pretty cool. Was the wind blowing a little bit? The wind Did you was get blowing, to hear yes, the, yes. Yeah, oh my goodness. It's so, so, uh, there's a, and there's a wonderful foundation that is um, the, the Orange Show Foundation, which started around another sort of outsider piece of real estate called the Orange Show. The problem is, and this is what's happening all over Houston and what's happened to our house, is that um, all of the small cottages and warehouses and things are being replaced by three- and four-story townhouses. So this poor little one-story bungalow is hemmed in now on both sides. I think it's both sides by a very tall townhouses, but... All right, so all this freelancing work yes. you're doing, is that all 1099 income? Yes. Yeah, so you've been paying your own taxes quarterly. Yes. Do you pay quarterly? I, I do. I should. I do. <laughs> if the IRS is listening, yes, I file quarterly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right now I I'm also get um, uh, paid by the University of Houston as a grad student. And I went through a period of time when I was at the Met when I, that was, yeah, I mean, it was pretty much salary. Mm-hmm. So. Got it. Do you file your own taxes? This is another problem. Oh boy. <laughs> so I've had a, I had a wonderful accountant, and she's retired. So that's another choice I have to make, is I have to find a new accountant. But yeah, I mean, I file all my quarterly stuff myself, okay. all that stuff, yeah. So, okay, so you do the quarterly, which is like, that's connected to your EIN? That well, the, that's the interesting, it's my social security number, yeah. yeah. Okay. You do that, and then at the whenever end of the year, you say to the accountant, "I paid this much money." Yeah. So I and I also yeah, and I, and I you know, here were my professional expenses, you know, office, yeah. professional development, all of that. Got stuff. it. Very Travel. organized. Yeah. That banker's so, yeah. blood. Yeah, but and and also there are these great software programs now that are, make it really easy. So. What do you use? Um, I'm using um, Quicken. Quicken? Okay. Yeah. Um, it's a little annoying. They do lots of updates, and sometimes the updates screw up your files. Mm, sorry. Um, but, um, or I, I had some trouble with that. Um, and I used QuickBooks for the real estate and for the 501c3, the nonprofit. But that pr- I haven't used that in a while, and I know the program's changed a lot. I'm thinking about moving the business, the the house and the, I guess we should call it the inn, the inn for artists, uh, arts inn, to uh, QuickBooks, because I like that double entry. Yeah. Okay. This is a good, because for me, I just use Excel yeah. or Google Docs, mm-hmm. and I always think I should be using software because everybody who uses it says, oh, it's so great. Quicken, Quicken was nice for a long time, and then it got sold, and then it remained nice, and now... They have this thing with Chase, so because you, you could you could um, download your transactions right. from your financial institutions, and now they're like in cahoots with Chase. And when you read, basically, when you sort of read what, like the dis, the disclaimer you're supposed to check, it's talking about your data and Experian. And I'm like, ooh, I don't need anyone like. I mean, yes, I know my credit card stuff is already there, but does this mean that you can see my bank account? I don't, you know, I mean, it's not like I'm doing anything illegal or anything, but I just don't like the idea of people having the details of my financial transactions. It's so funny. I'm like so not worried about any of that. (laughs) I I think it's generational. I think it's a generational thing because the way I always say it is like, am I so important that somebody would want something of mine? You know, and it's like, what are you... Take it all? I don't know. I don't care. (laughs) My mother grew up in occupied Norway during the Second World War. So there's sort of this, like, you know, you just want anyone to see. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, Retirement plan. Do you have one? So, um, yes and no. (laughs) So I did, and um, the real estate was a big part of it. I have a... I'm looking, you know, I, Social Security. I, we hope it will still be around. It will. Um, it will. The um, I'm a member of United Scenic Artists, Local 829, and part of that is a pension. Are you vested in the I pension? I have been vested in it since the 90s. Awesome. Yes. Cool. Um, I'm not vested. That's, yeah. why, that's why I ask. <laughs> yeah. um, I put everything 
everything through the all of my contracts through the union, no matter what size. Yeah, I um, don't. And it adds up. It does add up. It, it adds up. It's worth it. And then uh, the house, the Arts Inn, was supposed to be a strategy for retirement, as it is maybe teaching. I love that. I love that. I'm going to teach in retirement. Like, that's my retirement plan is to teach. <laughs> All the teachers listening are like, wait, what? Well, no. I mean, and I have to say, realistically, it's really, right now, it's really hard. People, my colleagues assure me that the first three years are the worst and the hardest. And then once you have your kind of your lesson plans in place and all of that and your confidence, then maybe it's a bit easier. But I'm not sure that's true given uh, the trends in funding higher education. And also, I think the generation of students, elementary school and secondary students who experience COVID, it's going to, it means that each year, each, each class coming in is going to have had a different experience. Yeah. Um, so it's, I don't think you can't make any assumptions anymore. Right. This is true. <laughs> but I think it's a challenge I'm, I'm interested in pursuing for a while. So. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, okay. So social security, that'll be a, a pay, a payout. Um, the pension will be a payout. And then I have my, um, personal retirement accounts, which I have not been paying, have neglected to pay in as much as I should. I believe that I should. Um, so I'm a little worried about that. But I mean, all the pieces. It seemed, to me, I mean, it's a lot of pieces. You just have to, just have to stay healthy. But I think my advice to younger people is: you're young and you have a lot of energy. Use your energy well while you're young and start thinking about it. I, I mean, the real estate to me seemed like a brilliant thing, and then COVID happened. Yeah. So that's the bummer there. But I mean, that you started 20, 25 years ago. Yeah, but it also, I started, unfortunately, moving back, moving back. I, re- I realized that having, and this is, this is that balance of freelance and maybe like having a through line. It's really hard to piece together a freelance career uh, unless you are able to consistently do big stuff. And then I think the people who are doing bigger stuff tend to have studios or, yeah. And I, I just think that the I think the times have changed since I le- since I moved back to Houston. So I had a disruption in basically in my freelance life, and I stopped having that through line of the Houston Ballet, yeah. which was like you know th- half of my year, maybe sometimes three fifths of my year if there was a lot of touring, and went to like the full freelance life. I also went into a period of time where I started having a lot of adult responsibilities I, uh, in terms of aging parent and things like that. And I was also at an age where I had a little bit less energy. And then I had a really bad case of the flu. And I had brain fog for like six months. And so it's just that use your energy well while you have it because you don't know what life will bring you. Yeah. I have had a remarkably wonderful career getting to work with fantastic people on projects that have given me a lot of um, satisfaction and pleasure. And I feel like I'm constantly growing and, you know, but what will happen? And I think also there's this thing that happened as, as you get older, is you're, when you're young, you also have like, I can, of course I can handle that, right? You, there's an optimism, even if you're like a latent depressive person like I am, you still have like this optimism about what life will, will, will bring and you know that things are going to change. Um, and, and there still seems to be a lot of possibilities. At a certain point, there just, there's just some things are just less likely to eventuate or less likely to happen. You know, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I feel like that's an, a wonderfully positive note to end <laughs> Um, but is there anything else about career finances that, that you thought of that we haven't mentioned? I think that having a good accountant is a very good idea. They help you not make mistakes. Um, and uh, they kind of keep, will help keep you on track. Um, I think getting an agent was a really good idea for me um, because I got to a point where I was so busy that I was leaving money on the table in terms of not keeping track of things like royalties. And um, so having them negotiate for me, they definitely 
they earn what I have to pay them. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. No, that's wonderful um, because the accountant, most I'd say most of the people on this show have an accountant mm-hmm. or pay for that. Um, and people certainly can do it alone. And we have a whole episode that I'll link in the show notes um, for, with somebody who does do it on their own. Because mm-hmm. um, also we mentioned software. Mm-hmm. There's software now that can walk you through even yeah. for freelancers. Well, and Turbo, TurboTax, I, I just really looked at it and I thought, maybe I really could do this on my own because my life has gotten simpler without the real estate partnership paperwork. Yeah. I mean, I, I have not done my own, mm-hmm. um, but from the people that do their own, I, I'm fully confident that you yeah. could do it with TurboTax. Yes. I'm sure of it. Because mm-hmm. um, I think about it myself. I'm like, but some, there's just something... More comforting and easy to, to hand it off. Um, but also that thing about an agent, how long did you, ha- like, when did you get an agent? I think I finally got um, an agent in 2009 or 2010. Did they help you find work or no. did they just negotiate? I know my, my, my British colleagues tell me that their agents help them find work, but no, they just help me manage the work. And it's especially helpful with uh, international work because ter- there's all the gack about travel and visas and how the money's going to be paid and all of that. So, But no, they, you know, they take care of the contract. And, yeah. and no, but I think that's worthwhile. And I'm happy, I'm happy you said that because actually that's a question I used to ask on the show and I sort of stopped was, do you have an agent? Um, and so I'm glad you volunteered that information yeah. that it is a good thing because I don't have one. Yeah. And I often think like there's no reason for me not to have one. <laughs> Like it can, it can only it can only free up more t- more of my time. And and it's really nice to have someone else negotiate for you because then you can just sort of walk in and be yourself and and not worry about it. And if there's a problem with getting paid, you say, "Oh, I'm gonna you know I'm gonna have my agent call you." Yeah. And then you don't have to like it's just you can be a designer and not. Okay. All right. Last question, really quick. Where can people connect with you if you want them to, and who do you want to connect with you? What an interesting question. They can, they can find me on LinkedIn. That's probably the best way. And soon, and it's very out of date. And soon there will be a website um, for me professionally as a designer. And also there will be a website for uh, the artists in. So if you're coming to Houston and you need a nice, clean, well-located, well-priced, friendly place to stay, come stay with us. Amazing, amazing. Uh, Christina, thank you so much for for taking (laughs) time out of LDI and coming and chatting. It's been a pleasure to talk with you. That's it for this week's episode. Now, my takeaways are that if you're part of USA 829, run everything through a USA 829 contract. Even if it's small, you'll be contributing to being vested in the pension, which is something that I have not achieved yet because I do so much work that's not on USA contracts but Christina runs everything through and is vested. And being vested in the pension means that you are guaranteed money when you hit retirement age. If you are not vested, you have the possibility to get that money, but you're guaranteed it once you're vested. Another takeaway was to get an agent, not to help with finding work, but to handle the financial and contractual details. So that allows you to spend time being a designer and being yourself not being the you that deals with the business details. Getting older. Christina didn't shy away from the reality that you have less energy as you get older, and so use the energy of youth to help set up a financial retirement plan. Now, Christina's involved real estate, which served her very well during COVID, and she also mentioned needing to take care of aging parents at a time in which she herself was having less energy. Now, she mentioned the flu causing a brain fog for six months. Now, those are realities. You have to have a retirement plan because everybody who should be so lucky gets old. And if you don't have a financial plan, how are you going to take care of yourself when sickness decides that your body needs rest? Now, I'm 34, and this is important to me today because it is now two weeks since I returned from LDI, and I'm still recovering from a flu. The show I was working on before LDI took a lot more time and energy and took some of my sleeping time away from me, so I wore myself out. I'm also not a public speaker, and so preparing for LDI was a lot for me because I knew I was going to be in front of people. So after LDI, my body took the opportunity to say, you need some rest and relaxation, and here it is at the age of 34, taking me two weeks to recover from a flu. Saying all this as an example to myself that I will need to take care of myself at retirement age. 
I will have to pay my medical bills. I'll have to take time away from work. And in those times, I need to have retirement income to cover all my expenses. Now, my final takeaway is that it is possible to be a freelance lighting designer in Houston. It's not New York, LA, or Chicago, but of course it is a huge city. Houston is the fourth largest city in the United States and has a lot of art going around, but it isn't what comes to mind for a home for lighting designers. But there we have it. We have Gary Archer and Christina Gianelli who have both made their living as freelancers in Houston. Again, thank you to Christina for the honest conversation. It was so nice of her to take time away from LDI to chat with me. Do you have anything to add to the conversation or a follow-up question? If so, please email me directly at artisticfinancepodcast at gmail.com or connect with me or Christina on LinkedIn. We'd both love to hear from you. And we'd like to say thank you to Ayrton for partnering with us on these LDI episodes. Ayrton is the only financial supporter that I've ever had at Artistic Finance besides our Patreon patrons. Now, this marks the end of our Ayrton partnership, which has been absolutely wonderful. That partnership allowed us to record live at LDI. Speaking of LDI, the podcast Light Talk recorded there and I attended their session. And this week, I was actually a guest on their podcast. Now, we had been playing schedule tag for a while, but the hosts, the Lumen Brothers themselves, were finally able to all be together, and it was a fantastic episode. Now, it's available in the Patreon feed or via a link that I'll put in the show notes. Thank you to Stan, Steve, and David for an awesome and honest conversation about designer fees, the state of the industry post-COVID, and the reality of how many people make a living as freelance theater designers. Now, the audience of Light Talk is very much aligned with ours here at Artistic Finance, so I thank them for having me on and having the financial conversation. If you appreciate the work I'm doing with Artistic Finance, please consider becoming a patron. That's the best way to support me and the show. You'll get access to all previous bonus content and early releases of the show on a private podcast feed. You can cancel the membership at any time, so you don't have to worry about being tethered down. You can join up for as little as $3 a month, or you can save 6% by subscribing annually, and that starts at $34 a year. Sign up at patreon.com slash artistic finance, and thank you very much in advance. That's it for today. Until next time, break a leg. Thank you for listening to Artistic Finance. Make sure to subscribe. To access our show notes, transcripts, or resources, go to artisticfinance.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decision, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by Artistic Finance. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.